Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol, and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Episode 7, Steph. Lucky 7. So this week, we're talking to the wonderful Dave Wilson, who is an absolute sober legend. Um, Mm -hmm. His podcast, One for the Road, was one of the first ones I ever listened to when I decided to branch out into the world of podcasts. And it really, really helped me. Just listening to other people's stories, you know, I realized how beneficial it was. So he's come on to talk to us about when his drinking kind of changed from being social and drinking with friends and he retreated into just drinking alone at home, which is a huge step for a lot of people. And it's a real wake up call, I think, about your relationship with alcohol. Yeah, I found this conversation very interesting and it actually had me diving into my own drinking And some things that I never really thought about before with my own drinking, because I know you and I have talked, you relate kind of to Dave in the drinking alone, where I drank socially, but desperately wanted to be alone. But I I never wanted to drink alone. Like, I just never went there. But I think the shame is the same. Like, I drank with people to hide my shame in them, right? Like that common ground, it made me feel like I was normal because they were doing it too. So it was easy for me to convince myself that it wasn't a problem where like you and Dave talk about, you didn't go out because you were ashamed. Like you didn't want people to see the level. It wasn't even that. I just, for me, it wasn't really being ashamed. I just always have drunk at home and not always to excess, you know, I mean, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, I would just have a glass of wine or a couple of glasses of wine at home. Mm-hmm. If Even if I was on my own, I didn't see it as anything weird. You know, I was very much of the mind that, you know, it's very European. People just drink wine with their evening meals. It, mm-hmm. it was never anything that I even thought about as being a problem or weird. And And actually, one thing this conversation brought up was, if drinking on your own is a bad thing, then surely that tells you that drinking is not good for you. Because if it's something you should only do in certain circumstances, otherwise you have a problem, then that's a huge red flag, isn't it? And and I'd never really thought of that before. But but it clearly is, because either it's okay for you or it's not, wherever you're drinking and whoever you're drinking with. Yeah, and I feel like too, like I would be drinking wine at home, but my husband wasn't drinking. So technically, I'm drinking alone, right? Because I'm really the only one drinking. My husband was never one to sit in the living room and drink. To him, that was not what what you do. Like he would either drink when he we would have people over, but that was never like sitting in our living room. Like it just wasn't a thing. Like, but I had no problem in the evenings sitting there with my wine and drinking. So I'm like. Even though I wasn't technically alone, I'm drinking alone. I'm the only one. And, and if you've got kids asleep upstairs and you're yeah. drinking, that that is drinking alone, isn't it? Yeah. Because there are other 
beings in the house, but yes. you are the only one drinking. And I think that's that's a good point because, you know, I think that is drinking alone. You're drinking because you want to drink and there is no social reason to be drinking, basically. Yeah, and I noticed the pandemic kind of started that for me because we weren't socializing as much. But I had that need for the alcohol still. And so, yeah, I would do things like call people on the phone. I've talked to you about that before. Or, yeah, I'm I'm in the room with my husband. I did things to make me feel like I wasn't drinking alone. But after talking to Dave and, like, having some reflection, I realized I was really starting to get into that habit myself right there at the end. Yeah, I think it's – I think you're right, the pandemic – was a huge one and, and so many people I speak to say they started really ramping up their drinking and also when you're at home you notice how much you're drinking because the empties are there you've got a visual account of how much you've had to drink whereas when you're out and you're sharing a bottle of wine you can't actually tally up how much of it you've had how much your friends have had it's constantly coming from different directions you might have a shot with them and then go on somewhere else whereas at home you you can see how much you're drinking and it, and it factors into your brain you take note and you realize oh I, I'm going to need some more I'm going to have to go out again and of course during the pandemic it wasn't easy to just pop out for more wine because I know in the UK shops were closed at certain times you know you couldn't just pick up the phone and order stuff because there were massive waiting lists so you had to plan your drinking which again made you have to think about what and be realistic because, you know, lots of people just say, well, I'll get a bottle of wine in. And then they go back out again and get another one, even though they know that they're going to want to drink more than that. But they trick themselves by saying, I'll just get one. And then they keep popping out and getting more. Whereas in the pandemic, you had to plan ahead. So, again, it was another realization of, of quite how much you were drinking. And people were also bored and they didn't have to get up for work in right. the morning. A lot of them. It was, so it was a perfect storm. excuse. Yeah, yeah the perfect storm. There are articles written every week about where to buy the cheapest alcohol in which mm -hmm. supermarkets. And it's just fueling this problem. It's making it so easy. And, you know, the fact you can buy three bottles of wine for £10, which we talk about with Dave. Yeah. It's so dangerous. It really is. And it also... You know, if you're going out and it's costing you six pounds to get a glass of wine, but you can buy three bottles for a tenner, you're more likely to sit at home and drink. Whether you've got a drinking problem or not, it's going to be more appealing financially to buy alcohol and have people yeah. over rather than go out. And again, that's just leading you by the hand into drinking at home and potentially drinking alone just not helping the problem is it no yeah and that's exactly why we drank at home as much as we did we just would entertain because not only were we drinking a lot everyone we were with were, was drinking a lot so if we all went out to a bar somewhere that bar tab was insane because we could drink like I really yeah. related to Dave when he was talking about how fast he can drink which we'll hear about but that was expensive so yeah, let's buy the cheap $3 bottle of wine and, you know, buy your 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 beers in the big 30 packs and have at it because then you're not wasting. There's another excuse. Well, I'm not spending a lot of money, so this isn't a problem. You know, like you have all these things yeah. to keep yourself going in your addiction. Another thing that we kind of touch on is is the dangers, the physical dangers. And, you know, I hadn't realized how many people have died after choking on their own vomit after a night of drinking? I mean, you've got 
John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, Bon Scott of ACDC, Stuart Cable of Stereophonics, they all died that way. And I didn't know that before. I just did a bit of research and found that out. And it's not anything that I really used to think about. And it is really scary. And I've got friends who have said, you know, luckily my husband stayed with me because I threw up. And if they hadn't been there to look after me and gone to bed, that could easily have happened to me. Terrifying. It's just another thing, isn't it? We always find that there's more reasons, more dangers. Yeah. And I've known, um, I've known two people who have fallen downstairs and died because they were drunk and lost their balance Mm. and fell down their their stairs and died. Yeah. And it's just, like you said, it's just another thing when you are alone and there's no one there to help you and you've lost control, you know, you lose control of your body. Like you can be passed out and, and not, and not wake up or you can yeah lose your balance and fall and hit your head. So well, you become a lot less worried about, um, you know, if you're in public and you're drinking, you're very aware. And I, I remember hitting mm-hmm. the cold air when I used to come out of pubs at 11 o'clock and thinking I've got to try and walk in a yeah. certain way yeah. as I walk back to the tube and, you know, really focusing on every step and standing up straight. But when you're on your own, you don't do that. So you become more lazy and floppy and it's just much easier to have an accident. All right, so let's hear from Dave and how he started having parties for one. I was always a social drinker. I was a bit of a sporty guy. So when I first started drinking, it was that typical work hard, play hard, you know, always get up and play football and be very athletical and brag about the hangover and still perform the same. But... I started to get a bit older um, and my neighbour actually introduced me to a little local pub here in the UK. It's a Young's pub and it had a public bar and saloon bar, which was a bit of a class system. You know, all the builders used to go in the spit and sawdust side and all the lawyers and other people used to go on the other side. So I started going in there and I got my a reputation pretty quickly for being a, a big boozer. Put it this way, I would drink really fast. Uh, and that was my identity straight away. They they nicknamed me Glugs because I could have five or six pints in an hour, playing pool, playing darts. Uh, and then I would go home and I wouldn't really think about drinking anymore. Um, but the more I went to the pub, the more I started staying later and the more I started getting more drunk and the more people started mentioning it. You know, I would still be in my work clothes at 10 o'clock at night where other people have gone home, had a shower, had dinner and come back out for a couple. And I remember feeling that crossover point of feeling uncomfortable because I got in this routine of going in there, parking the van up the road where I didn't have to worry about it and then ending up staying in there. And I remember one day, there was an off-license over the road, and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to stay late. I'm going to get some beers and go home so I'm not going to be judged or talked about, right? And I went in there, and um, I was never one for drinking um, low-percentage alcohol. It was always had to be the high-percentage lagers or ciders. I would never touch spirits. It was always, you know, points and that. Uh, and they had... 
back then, Diamond White on offer, eight cans for the price of four for a fiver, right? So I bought eight cans. And that were enough to blow your head off. But I already had six pints, do you know what I mean? So when I'm in, say, had four, and I remember sitting there thinking, this is all right, actually, because I, I can sit here and I can free pour, not worrying about what people are thinking. Um, and gradually from there, I start to do that more. So I'll go in and nip in and have a couple, then go home and drink eight cans. And then I got to 40 years old and I moved and it was quite away from the pub. Um, so I started buying wine, which was then three bottles for 10 quid from Asda's, right? And I was like drinking a bottle and a half, a couple of beers, and then falling asleep or whatnot. Then I started drinking two bottles and then I would start to get into the third bottle, right? And then I started putting on weight. So I then thought, you know, how can I get around this? Because I don't want to stop drinking. So I Googled um, what has the lowest calories in alcohol and vodka popped up, right? And I was never, ever a spirit drinker. I'd never had shorts, chasers or anything like that. So I thought, all right, well, I'm a little bit resistant, but I'll buy half a bottle of vodka. I drank it in about 20 minutes um, because I'm a quick drinker. I drank it like pints. You know, I'd have large vodka and tonics, but there was probably six in the glass vodkas. And then what I thought was, actually, this gets me really, really drunk really quickly, and I really like that. So then I started buying bottles. Um, and we all know alcohol is accumulative, right? That, you know, this is what I say about the bottle and a half, two bottles of wine, then three bottles. So I started buying litres. And that's where I really, really got in trouble, right? Because I would get in from work. I would make sure all my emails are done, my phone calls away. It didn't matter what time of day. I was never a day drinker, but even if I've got enough four, I would then buy a couple of beers and then I think half five, oh, I can have a large vodka. Uh, drunk by half six and then pass out. At the weekends, if I had nothing to do, which I planned that I didn't have, I had no social occasion, I, I would say I was busy, I would lock myself in at four o'clock on a Friday, I'd been shopping, I've got all the booze and, and food I needed for the weekend, so I had this little lock-in, and I romanticised it in a way that was a little mini-break for me. Uh, I lived in um, a place called Belmont in Surrey, so I, I'd say, oh, Hotel Belmonte. You know, I... I Pictured my little cottage is this lovely retreat and, and whatnot. Um, and I would go in at four o'clock, all the bags clinking away as I was walking up my path, shut the door and I go, yes, I'm having party time now. Uh, and I would drink three litres of vodka, probably four bottles of wine, 10 cans of Stella, eat a load of chickens and nothing else, uh, and crawl out of my door Monday morning feeling like hell, literally hell. I would go leave early because I knew the routines of the neighbours when they come out. So I used to just sit in the vans. But if I leave early, I won't bump into them. And then it become every night, like literally every night, vodka, vodka, vodka. And it got to such a stage that if I didn't drink the litre and there was a certain amount in, I would convince myself that actually I was all right. You know, like if the vodka was gone, it's like, oh, shit, I'm like, today's going to be a nightmare. Um, um, 
that's how crazy it was. And I would see a small amount and think, I'll be all right. But that was more than a bottle anyway, you know. But what came with that was my mental health that just went massively downhill, my physical health. Towards the end, I put on four stone. Um, I had terrible, like, life-threatening blood pressure. My cholesterol was ridiculous. I was on antidepressants. Uh, I had acid reflux, so I'd projectile vomit acid out of nowhere. I could just be chatting someone, it'd just come out. Um, and then I just didn't know what to do, you know. Um, I, it was a mess, Steph, to be honest. What was the time frame of this whole progression? Um, well, I was 40 when I moved to the house, um, and by probably 41, 42, I limited my social activities to maybe Saturday lunchtime with my mate who was a big drinker so I could go for a drink with him and if I was like hanging from night four I knew he would be and we would have this four or five pint routine we'd have four and then we'd go one for the road which is ironic because that's the name of my podcast uh, but then I would get on the bus phone knowing that I'd already had five pints of Stella and it was all exciting yeah I don't have to talk to anyone now by the time I was 44, 45, I didn't even see him. I, I just don't know what happened there. We kind of fell out or something, you know, probably something I said. Uh, so then I was solitary. And I, my neighbor, so I lived in a row of six cottages, right, that backed onto the woods. Next door to me were real party people. And they used to say to me, there's a party on Saturday, Dave. You must come. And I'd say, I'm, I'm going out. But then what I would do is sit in the dark because I didn't want to go to the party because I wouldn't be able to drink like I drank indoors because I wouldn't be in public view. So I'd rather sit indoors behind the sofa in the dark using my phone light to top my glass up so it wasn't pouring all over the floor until I was drunk and then creep up to bed with like looking through the gap in the blinds out everyone having a good time. And that's like then it was like, what am I doing? Like, what, what have I turned into from the person that was a fit footballer, plenty of girlfriends, put a laugh to someone that was four stone overweight, hiding in the dark, drinking liters of vodka. It's really scary how it can spiral. And Steph, I know you've mentioned before that you never drank alone, and you'd phone your brother. So that you felt like you weren't alone and you would chat for three hours while you were heavily drinking because you could say, well, I was having a conversation. But I, I drank from an early age at home because that was just what my parents did. So when I was studying for my A-levels, I'd have a glass of wine. You know, I was pretty much living alone throughout my A-levels. Um, and drinking alone, I never saw as a bad thing. I saw it as sophisticated and that's quite dangerous because it meant I drank every night because it, I didn't need a reason to drink. And, and I didn't notice that flip of I am drinking a lot when I'm alone until I started to think about the cost of the pub. Just like you said, Dave, the three bottles for a tenner was such a dangerous thing yeah. because if you've got three bottles, you're going to open the second one and you might even open the third one. And I remember thinking, I want to stay in. And the only reason I want to stay in is to do with my drinking and people won't watch me. I can sit here in my pajamas and watch TV. So basically, I was literally building this cocoon 
that was enabling me to drink. That was the only reason. And it is so scary. But I think the trouble there as well is that I was living on my own, right? So I was lying to myself in a way. But when it's people live with partners and children, that's when the, the hiding comes in, you know? And I did go on to marry someone that I didn't really tell them um, how bad my drinking was. They knew I, I liked to drink, but I kept it because I was ashamed. But the other side of that was I thought I'm going to deal with it before I move in, right? Yeah. And I didn't because every single day I was like, I must sort it out. I must sort it out. And by the time it got to four or five o'clock, I thought, Do you know what? I, I'm going to do it Monday because I've got, it might be Thursday. And I think, well, mm, I'm on my own. And, and before I knew it, it was moving in date and I hadn't sorted it out. So that's when the hiding came in. And I've heard so many people say, you know, like similar to me, that bottles are found in places that I've forgotten I've put them because I was drunk, you know. And, and it's that kind of drinking at home where there's deceit and lying. And for me, it was like I was having an affair because it, it was that side of my life that I didn't like, but I couldn't stop it. So it was only until I realised I had to end that relationship with the mistress that I realised that was the way I had to look at it because I was in a, in a really, really toxic relationship with alcohol, you know. And when I stopped, I had to change everything my mindset the way i looked at it i had to divorce it it was like a death to me in a way do you know what i mean because it had been in my life for 40 years but what it had become was that toxic relationship like being with a narcissist and there's that hold they got on you where you you, you find it almost impossible to leave and that's why some people leave and it's like a 12 separation, and then they get drawn in because of the fading bias effect. They're like, oh, I forgot how bad it is, and well, maybe things will be different. And that's why they say, well, I might, you know, I haven't drank for a month. I might be able to moderate now because I feel really good about myself, and they get drawn in again. Um, that's why, for me, when I stopped, I, I knew all that. I thought, I have an opportunity here that I need to take. Cause if I don't take it, I won't ever do it. And when I stopped, it, I knew then that I had to say goodbye, you know, uh, and that's the only way I could do it, really. That relationship that you described is the exact mindset that I used to get sober as well. Mm. It was like I told myself the alcohol was like being in a toxic relationship, and it was mentally and physically abusing. It was like being in a mentally and physically abusive yeah. relationship, and yeah. that's what flipped it for me when I could finally see it for what it was because that it is very relatable when you look at it that way yeah there are a lot of people that are in relationships like that and they keep going back to it thinking yeah. oh it'll be different this time because that's what you do with alcohol oh I'm gonna even if you decide to drink something different like you said you you decided to drink vodka instead maybe that'll make a difference in my weight because I don't like the way my weight is we try to do all these things to justify the yeah. drinking and What's interesting is, like Kate mentioned, I never really drank alone. So I love this topic and hearing this side of, you know, alcohol addiction. Um, but for me, I drank with people who drank just as much as me, much as me to keep the shame away. 
because mm-hmm. it just kept and it kept feeling that. And I have found now that I am sober, I don't like to socialize that much. I would rather stay home. Have you found since getting sober, the way you socialize has changed? Do you get out now more than when you started to become like a shut in with the alcohol there in the end? Um, I socialize different now. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really go out with people who drink anymore. Um, I haven't really got a lot of friends anymore that drink. That could be an age thing because I'm a bit older. Um, you know, that comes into it. You do your own thing. But I align with different people now. You know, I hold events myself. Kate's been to them before. It's a room full of people that are really positive, healthy, got great mindset. It's like an unspoken code, isn't it? It's like, we know. Do you know what I mean? But it's interesting what you say about you don't drink alone. Because even when I was drinking in a crowd, I felt alone. Mm. Because I had that personal relationship with myself, with mm-hmm. my drinking, you know. So I was always looking at other people's glasses, like, well, you're going to drink up because it's your round. So I'd buy double rounds just so I could have one. might cost me a fortune. So it's interesting how we view it differently, you know. Like when you say I would never drink alone, I always felt alone um, in a crowd. I've got a question, actually, because you mentioned the kind of physical and mental abuse that alcohol is like a relationship. But obviously, there's there's the kind of the physical accidents that you have when you're on your own in a house drinking to excess. It is really dangerous because you can fall over. You can have a serious accident. You are not capable of driving yourself to the hospital. You're not you don't want to call anyone because you know you're slurring your words. Well, I certainly was. And it's really dangerous. I used to wake up every morning covered in bruises whenever I'd had a heavy night I was always banging into things I was falling over I you know I ended up in hospital a couple of times more than a couple of times that that's quite dangerous did you find that you just kind of parked yourself and drank and then just literally fell asleep to keep yourself safe or did you just not care I mean did you have accidents is that something that worried you yeah, I had accidents. So, I mean, I opened the door. My cottage was when I was walking and straight up the stairs jobs. And it took, one night I was so drunk that I, I think I went out to the bins to put the bloody bottles in or something and come back. The door shut, but lucky I had a key. I couldn't open the door because I couldn't get the key in the door. And then eventually I did and just went with the door straight on, like, headbutted the bloody stairs and just laid there. I remember waking up with all my face, crusty blood, but it's worse than that, Kate, because I, I did a talk a couple of years ago, right? And there's a guy there who's best mate. They've been out and his mate was, you know, when you get in and you lay on the sofa or the floor, oh, leave me alone. Come on, mate, I'll get you up to bed and whatever. No, leave me. I'm all right. I'm cosy here. I'm comfortable here. So he went up to his, his bed, come down, his mate's still laying on the carpet. Come on, son, get up. I'll make you some breakfast. And he was dead. Right, it it vomited and and right. choked on his vomit, right? And that when I think about the amount of times I just passed out through vodka, where I, I would pass out, um, and then I would wake up again and start drinking again at the weekends. One pass out, wake up, pass out. I have no idea how I'm still here, you know. And, and the the time that you you remember from my book about Eastbourne, with that four four nights on the beach where I could have died of hypothermia. Um, I fell over on the beach and headbutted all the stones, cut my head open. 
I could have led to that. You know, all that kind of thing. It's an interesting aspect, actually. Did I care? No. I, I genuinely didn't care because I'd lost all self-respect, all, all my self-esteem, lack of love. I had nothing really at that time to live for, which sounds horrible, you know, horrible to think of that. But I was so in that cycle of self-destruction that I didn't, it was almost in a way I think glorified it. Well, yeah. you know, like... Well, it comes from every angle. It's messing with your head. It's take, stripping your confidence down. It's telling you you're nasty. You're looking at yourself and going, I look revolting. I'm yeah. doing revolting things. I've, I better, I, I want to hide away. And it, it just is toxic. It eats away at you. And as you say, sadly, lots of people, didn't the guy from the stereophonics die that way by throwing up? Um, it's common, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, um, self-harming, people, yeah. you know, like, I remember as well, it is self-harming, isn't it? Yeah. What we do. But I remember one night, um, I thought, I'm just going to kill myself because I, I can't put anyone else through it, let alone myself. And I was rustling through the drawers for some tablet, paracetamol, and I couldn't find any. And the thing is, I know I'd have done it. Um, but I woke up in the morning still with my coat on, laying on the floor. And it makes me really want to cry thinking about that version of me back then compared to now, because I have luckily turned it around. But it's just an awful thing to relate to when you say it out loud, isn't it? That mm. I got to that desperate state of, despising myself that much because of who I've become. Yet I was on that hamster wheel of despising myself, but by three, four o'clock, I justified my drinking by, oh, it'd be all right, you can have a couple. And then you go all the way around to the morning again, then repeat, repeat, repeat. I think for people who are drinking alone, I mean, part of me thinks if you're questioning your drinking, then you should stop. You know, if, if you think you can't stop, you should try and stop. If you think you can stop, you should give it a go. But I think I think drinking alone at home is so much more dangerous than people realise. Not only because of the, you know, anyone can throw up. You know, a 16-year-old who's never drunk before, who yeah. goes out with his mates and has three pints and comes home and throws up, can die from that. You don't have to be a hardcore alcoholic for that to happen. But it's the it's the loneliness. And it's that your mind is your only company and it's your own mind. And under the influence, you become a completely different person. You, there's the self-hatred and, and there's no one telling you, don't be silly. You're not like that. There's a positive future out there. Remember you when you were like this. It's just you. And we are our own worst enemies. And when we're drunk and, and that's the only voice you hear, I think it is really scary. And I think personally... Drinking to excess at home is one of the scariest things I can remember ever doing. You know what? I, I equate it to the opposite of what I painted in my house to be, Hotel Belmonte. It was prison Belmonte, right? And I've become institutionalised in that place. So that was what I did then. So when I stopped, I couldn't just stop and be on my own with my thoughts again and sit there white-knuckling. So community was everything for me. So... Well, I was such a recluse and solitary, I reached out to the sober community. I went to an event and met some people there. 
And it was like, wow, that they're all doing this. You know that, Kate, from the group yeah. that I've yeah. got. And, 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 you know, all of a sudden you don't feel lonely. You feel like you can compare your story to someone else. You know, all, all of this kind of stuff is what you need to hook into this kind of lifestyle because doing it on your own is too hard. You're like spreading water in a sea and you can't see the land, you know. And by having pe- like-minded people around you that can talk about their experiences a little bit further down the line, even if it's a couple of weeks, and say, you know, just take half a day at a time, you know, go to bed early, like join a gym, do something different, um, especially around the times you would normally drink, you know, make it non-negotiable. Otherwise, you go back to committing a crime. It's like coming out of prison and you think, oh, I don't like it out here, so I'm going to go back in because I feel safe there. You know, you have to give it a chance. And that's what I did. And, you know, I remember um, a friend obviously saw me looking like hell. Uh, and he didn't frame it like, oh, my God, mate, you look shit. You need to stop drinking. He said to me, why don't you join me to not drink for three months? And that framing of that made it so much more appealing for me. And I found out after that he didn't really drink anyway. <laughs> but there you go. Oh, good for him. Yeah, but it worked, you know. And, and after six weeks, I thought I, I was walking my little dog and I looked over there and the pub was over there that going. I thought, what am I going to be doing when this is over? I'm going to be going back in there, all this. So that was the time I thought, right, this is it now. And and I divorced alcohol. It was like I made up my mind that was it then. Uh, and that's the non-negotiable for me was what worked. It's like, Right, every single day, oh, I'm not going to drink alcohol today. And that's what worked for me, you know, because what are you really losing? You know, when, when it comes down to it, when when you've got a dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, like it sounds like we all have, well, I know we have, then what are we losing? Nothing. We've got everything to gain. I mean, I think we can all relate to parts of Dave's story and and he was so honest with us and he was clearly getting emotional about it which you would when you look back on your life when you were living like that it's hard to believe that we actually functioned when we were drinking that much but it's funny because he says you know I was never a day drinker but it just goes to show you know those questionnaires you get that kind of say do you have a problem with alcohol and one of them is do you drink during the day and he could have ticked no I mean they're rubbish those questionnaires and, and here fact- I am like I was the biggest day drinker <laughs> of all and I yeah. thought that that meant I didn't have a problem because I just drink during the day and I can go to bed at a decent time and it kept me day drinking helped in a way with the hangover it didn't make it go away let's be honest I still felt like complete shit the next day but I felt like I felt a little better than if I would have stayed up drinking all night so that it's so funny how we all can have these rules or these things that we tell ourselves and I remember going back to the kind of drinking alone thing I remember when my husband would take the kids off for a couple of days and I would think oh I've got the house to myself I know that whole bottle of wine is mine I'm not gonna have to share it with him I'm not gonna have any judgments if I just want to go to bed really early you know it's just I, I really looked forward to having the house to myself so I could do that and, and no one was kind of watching or clocking how much I was drinking. I remember getting excited about that. And again, mm-hmm. that's a real red flag, isn't it? To think, 
you've got an evening on your own and you're thinking about the fact that you can drink without anyone bothering you or drinking your alcohol. I mean, I clearly did have a problem. You've got to be careful when you become sober that you don't end up isolating yourself because that's a real danger as well. I mean, drinking alone, yes, but not drinking alone as well. It's really important you go out and find people. I've become much more of a day socializer. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to do anything in the evenings. I like to meet people for walks or coffee or lunch. Yeah, I feel like this that's another thing that this conversation had me reflecting on. Um, you know, I socialize a lot, a lot. And I don't socialize enough now. But I'm I'm kind of giving myself some grace in that because I spent the last I don't know, my husband and I got well, I've always gone out since I was, you know, in my early 20s. And my husband and I got married and we were the ones who entertained all the time. And there was always people around me. And as an introvert, that's a lot of years of like self-abandoning what my needs were. And so I'm, I'm being gentle with myself about it, but let's be honest, Kate, it's been 16 months almost. (laughs) And I'm feeling this, like, I really need to, like, I really need to start getting out and socializing some more because I've actually kind of turned into that shut in in my sobriety and having that conversation with Dave, even though it's kind of flip flopped from his story, it's still alarming. It's still something that I need to like be aware of because we all need, no matter if you're introverted or extroverted, like we all need social interaction with, and like human to human, like in person. So yeah, it's, it is something that people have to keep an eye on. If they if they were like me and they were really social, now they find themselves like socializing. It kind of is a trigger, and I don't know how to do it without a drink in my hand. Like I can't even I can't even think about going to a bar or pub right now and trying to have a conversation with someone. No wonder we were so loud. Everyone in there's drunk yeah. trying to talk over each other. So it's like that's just too much stimulation for me. Like, that's why I drank. Like, I just, it kept me from, like, being overwhelmed. It helped the anxiety, which, in a way, it didn't really, but. You thought it. But it's funny. It's interesting, actually, because what, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the difference. Socializing in a pub or a bar, you never really have valuable conversations no one can because when you go into one you can tell it's impossible to do so it's one big huge enabling evening so everyone can drink but you don't actually get that much out of it whereas I'm completely with you on -on one-on-one I love meeting my friends Mm -hmm. one-on-one I found it really interesting when he made the point that once you have other people in the house you have to start getting sneaky I'd never really thought about that before because I hear a lot of people saying, you know, they hid stuff everywhere. They keep finding things, bottles in shoes and things like that, bottles of vodkas and wellies and stuff. I was not someone who did that. I didn't secretly drink, but it is really, really common. And I've never really put that together with the fact that you only have to do that when you live with someone But that adds such a huge weight of deceit and lying into the already nasty mix of self-loathing. You can see how that would affect someone because you're physically 
deceiving the people you live with and hiding something like a nasty secret because it is a nasty secret. Yeah. That's horrible to have to deal with that because you yeah. can't admit this is how much I actually drink. And you're constantly saying to yourself, I drink so much, it's embarrassing. I'm having to hide it. I'm having to sneak around. I don't think I could have lived with that kind of level of mental, you know, craziness in my head it's horrible no, no. and you know he described it as like having an affair like it was his mistress and that's big I mean that's a big weight and yeah, yeah I never did that but once again I set myself up I surrounded myself with people that would never question it you know yeah. like looking back now I was very aware of what I was doing when I decided who was going to be in my life and who wasn't. Yeah. Didn't realize it at the time, but looking back now, everyone that was in my life at the time, I don't understand like how we how we fit now, but I understand now why we fit then. Yeah. Because they would have never questioned my drinking. I could do it openly in front of them. I never had to hide it. And yeah, that's just the difference, that's right? What, yeah. You surround yourself not by the people that you actually want to be around necessarily, but the people who won't judge you. Whereas yep. he's talking about being with someone who didn't drink very much because he wanted to be with them. Yeah. And he had to then navigate that yeah. relationship. And that that does make sense. And I, you know, I often wonder about my husband, like, is he sneaking and drinking here and there? <laughs> but I don't think he is. <laughs> but you do think that. You do think, well, how would you carry on drinking? if? If But I would never have got together with someone who didn't drink back in the day when I was. It just nope. would never have happened. Mm -mm. I would have found it, you know, it's just not going to work, basically, which is right. so sad. Think of all the people that you haven't made friends with or had relationships with because they weren't heavy drinkers. I mean, it's just, it's such a waste, isn't it? It is a waste. It's, it's such a waste. Well, I think this conversation, what I got out of it to kind of like tie this all up in a bow is we all have different ways of wanting to justify our drinking or hide from our drinking or hide our drinking from others. All of them, though, are are somehow a red flag, like any which way you try to, you know, look at it and justify it there's just red flags all over the place right i agree and i think those red flags really you have to listen to them when you know you're doing something wrong and you don't take action to change it all you're doing is creating a very dark space in your head you're accumulating so many thoughts that are negative about yourself it is really damaging damaging to all aspects of your life so if you think you have developed an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, if you do anything where you think I'm ashamed of this or should I have to hide this, it's probably a good idea to try and stop rather than to try and think of more scheming plans right. as like, to how you can get away with it. If you're trying to control it, it's really controlling you. Exactly. Perfectly said. Right, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, right. Beth. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. 
If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.